Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. This is the Tuesday edition, and we're so glad that you're able to join us today. I uh, want to make sure that uh, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, we invite you to text in your questions uh, using the Q&A box. In fact, while you're there, if you're in the Zoom app, you also have the opportunity to raise your hand, which tells us you don't want to come on using your audio, your computer audio, and you want to talk with us directly with your comments. Or questions. I want to invite you for that. Um, and also, if you're coming in on the Bible Quest YouTube channel, please take a look for the comment box, the common area under the video, and type away any comments or questions you have there while we're talking about today's topic. Actually, we want to invite you to talk about anything. If you have any other questions in addition to what we're talking about today, um, please do give us your input and feedback. We really want to hear from you, and uh, we look forward to it. So we have uh, Scott. Scott is in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Scott, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Drew. How are you today? Doing very good, thank you. And also Jonathan, our webcast engineer and also a panelist. How are you doing, Jonathan? Good to see you. I'm doing well. It's good to see you guys. Yeah, so Jonathan is a multitasker. He's doing a lot of back-end stuff as well. So thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for your help on that. Yeah, um, Jeff will be joining us shortly. Um, he had a run on take care of some other things, but we're looking forward to Jeff Jeff coming in. So we're going to be talking about a couple of things today. Uh, one of our podcast viewers, and I invite anyone that's watching the program from any of our re recorded podcasts to uh, also, you can participate by going to BibleQuest.tv at any time after the podcast, uh, and uh, or when you're in front of your computer or on your iPhone or whatever, your tablet. Go to BibleQuest.tv and enter in your comments and questions in the form that's there. In fact, one of our podcast viewers had done that recently. And we're going to respond to his, let me get his comments up. This comes from uh, Jeff. And Jeff says, uh, regarding science, I don't think people have all the answers or from it. But I also don't believe that the Bible dispels concepts such as carbon dating, the age of the universe, and consequently the earth, and even evolution. So, Scott, where do you want to go with that observation? All right, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this today, but uh, I, I do want to touch on it just a little bit. Uh, first off, carbon dating, nobody uses carbon dating to judge, to, to determine the age of the earth. So uh, my daughter, when she was in oh, grade school, her textbook uh, that mentioned uh, things showed over here, here's how carbon dating works. And over here, they talked about dating things to like millions of years ago. And a child could assume that carbon dating can be used to date things to a million years ago. And that's, that's not how it works. Um, carbon dating is, I'm reading right here, let's see. Um, carbon, this is from Encyclopedia Britannica. Carbon-14 method was developed by American physicist Willard Libby. And they say that it's valid for dating things from 500 to 50,000 years ago. Uh, Libby, if I recall correctly, when he came out with the technique, thought it was only good for up to, to 25,000 years ago. Uh, back in the 90s, they were saying 40,000. Uh, this article here on it says they can go up to like uh, 50,000. But when they're talking about dinosaurs, they're talking about things tens of millions of years old. They, they don't radiocarbon uh, dinosaur bones. Uh, and they don't radiocarbon the age of their, There's other methods that they use that they believe they get their dates from, but it's not carbon dating on, on those things. Wait, uh, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Scott, you're saying that when, the, someone, when they attribute millions of years to any of the dinosaurs, they've not used carbon dating, dating to come up with that? Yeah, they know, they, they believe that you can't. Uh, carbon dating is, that, I'll read it again here. This, now, these are scientists you're talking about that state this. Uh, they, well, they would all recognize this. It's, this is Encyclopedia Britannica that says this, but okay. scientists would recognize this. So, um, 
Carbon-14 dating, also called radiocarbon dating, method of AIDS determination depends on the decay of nitrogen to radiocarbon-14. And so they say that it breaks, nitrogen breaks down to carbon-14. And so by measuring the amount of carbon-14 in a carcass, uh, they can tell, uh, they believe, how old something is. But you, since they believe, I don't believe dinosaurs are this old, but because they believe dinosaurs are 65 million years old or whatever, you can't measure something that would uh, hypothetically be that old with a method that won't reach that old. So how old does it reach to? I'll read the sentence here for this is from Encyclopedia. In fact, let me just share my screen here so everybody can see it. All right. Um, am I sharing my screen yet? Not yet. Okay, I clicked the wrong button. All right. So here we go. So here is, can you see my screen now? Yep. So here is Encyclopedia Britannica, carbon-14 dating. And if you look right here, it says, I'll highlight it, carbon-14 method was developed, etc. And it's a technique of dating fossils that are from 500 to 50,000 years old. So that's, that's what they, they use it for, according to their uh, dating systems and stuff. And they don't uh, use carbon dating on rock. Oh, you can't carbon date rock. You can only you can carbon date organic material. And it's limited how far back you can do it. Now, there's other systems that they believe they use. There's some certain assumptions in that. And I remember talking to a nuclear, um, excuse me, a research physicist, um, uh, a research chemist, who said in his experimentation, he found out that one of the numbers they say stays constant doesn't stay constant. Uh, so, but I'm not going to get into that, all that, and I don't understand all that. On carbon dating, we'll just point this. You can't date according to them. Now, see, I, I believe that dinosaurs would be between 500 and 50,000 years old. Uh, going by the Bible, I, I don't believe they're even anywhere near 50,000 years old, but they are over 500. But according to their system, they can't date, and they would admit this, they can't date dinosaur fossils by this. Here's something interesting, by the way. Dinosaur fossils have been found that were fresh, not fossilized. Dinosaur fossils have been found with soft tissue in them, where you break it and pull it apart, there's still soft tissue. So I don't think dinosaurs are that old. But we're talking just now about carbon dating. Uh, and if somebody wants to hear some more about that other, if you, and if you want to see it from some scientific uh, books, articles, I'll be glad to pull that up. So if a reader wants to ask about that, I'll show that. Let's move on to the fact that sometimes what scientists say turns out not to be the case, okay? So where did it go? Oh, one of you guys comment because in pulling that up, I lost my other thing. No, here it is. All right, here it is. There we go. You're still oh, sharing your screen. I'm not sharing my screen? No, I said you still are. Oh, good, because I want to. So look at this article. This is from uh, just recently, January of 2019. Archaeologist embarrassed after farmer admits to building uh, a stone circle. Do I? I don't see that. I still see your carbon fourteen dating article. Okay, it says it's sharing its pause. Hmm. So hit stop and start again. Hmm. Or click on the pause button. And Wait, what? Why don't you talk while I figure it out? Because it's gonna. Um, it's, it's letting me share one window, not the other. So y'all go ahead and I'll be right back. Yeah. You probably shared the, uh, uh, yeah. you, the, you didn't share the whole screen. Maybe you shared just that. Right. That's what happened. Okay. Share the whole screen. You're cleared now. You should be able to share it again. Um, oh, you said talk while you're doing that. What are we going to talk about John <laughs> while he's doing that? He's got the stuff on the carbon dating and the science stuff. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, well, I, think, well, I think also, I'm like uh, Jeff, I don't believe dinosaurs are 65 million years old. And I would like to have a discussion today on why they estimate it to be millions of well, years I, like that. As it relates to the carbon dating, and, and uh, I haven't done, uh, I'm, along with Scott, I mean, I'm not a scientist. None of us are scientists. So I, there are people who obviously know more about all of that than me. But what I do understand 
Um, it's based on, on measuring half lives. Um, and so just that concept, trying to stretch it as far as, as they do, uh, it becomes increasingly more and more inaccurate as something becomes older. Um, and so that's where that, that quote in that website that Scott was uh, bringing up in Encyclopedia Britannica comes in. After a certain point, something could be, you know, um, it, it could be 50,000 years old or it could be 100,000 years old and it would look exactly the same um, almost because the variation would be so small um, in it. So, I mean, you could take a, a, an example, um, like if I have this book and we want to measure half of the book, then you come right down the middle. The next time that we measure half will be about right here. The next time we measure half will be about right here. And the next time we measure half will be here and half will be here. And you just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And the differences are just so minimal um, in measuring a half-life once you get to a certain point that it just it becomes inaccurate. So carbon dating is effective up to a certain point, but, but after that, um, it doesn't really... I, I think someone used the example that if you take a window and close the window halfway and then keep closing it only half of the distance each yep. time, you never really close the window. Right, exactly. Yeah. But once you get to a point, the window will be open just a microscopic amount and it, it looks the same as 10 steps before that. Right, right, right. So if you know that window's being closed halfway every hour, if I walk in and it's closed halfway, I know you started doing it an hour ago. If I walk in and it's closed 75% of the way, I know it was two hours ago. If I come in and it's closed to where a human hair might be able to fit between there, it's kind of going to be hard for me to distinguish that between a bunch of steps before or a bunch after. All right, can you guys see this screen now that says Farmer Admits to Building Ancient Stone Circle? Yep, Farmer Admits to Building Ancient Okay, all right, all right. So, archaeologists are undergoing a crisis of self-doubt after it was discovered that a stone circle in northeast Scotland that they believed was built between 3,500 and 4,500 years ago was actually assembled by a local farmer 20 years ago. So, this was in the news. They had found this uh, ring. You know, they've got Stonehenge and stuff. So, this is a smaller collection, and the archaeologists were, I guess, excited about it. And they had determined how old it was, uh, not how old the rocks were, because like at Stonehenge, they didn't make the rocks. At Stonehenge, they took rocks and built a structure, right? So these archaeologists, scientists, had, uh, with whatever studying they did or whatever, they decided that this was built around 4,000 years ago. And it was out in the news, and then a farmer notified them, he said, I actually... I built that. It was on. It had been on his land, and he had built it. So wait, 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 wait. How did they determine scientifically that it was around four thousand? I didn't say. The, 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 I didn't see that in the article. It just says they're embarrassed about it. And they're embarrassed because they acknowledge it wrong. It, it wouldn't have been done by carbon dating. Uh, you can't carbon date the rock and the grass there. If there were, you can't carbon date, it's still alive. This wouldn't have been by carbon dating. This is just an example of just because a scientist puts a date on something doesn't mean he's right. That's all. That's the point you're trying to make. Yeah. yeah. And let, let's touch on one other thing on evolution real quick. Uh, and that is, oh, and then I do want to say one other thing. Um, and I'm sorry, everybody, I have having so much trouble. My computer is operating differently today than usual. And so I keep not being able to find my stuff. Uh, but the book is Guide to Fossil Man by Michael Day. I was going to show you a picture of it, but I can't pull the picture up. So that'll just be that. It's an older book. Uh, I've got it in my library and it goes through and it, it gives articles about uh, just numerous, numerous fossils that were available at that time. And I remember when I was going through that book, the thing that struck me is, so much of the time when I got down to the dating section, it would say either the dating on this one is controversial or the dating is difficult. And sometimes it would say it is impossible at this time. And this was written uh, a number of years ago. It would say it was impossible at this time to radiometrically date uh, this fossil because it was found in uh, limestone. Uh, and 
that you can't do. Limestone is not subject to carbon dating or uranium dating, as far as I know, and you just couldn't uh, do that. And so they dated it by faunal basis. What does faunal basis mean? That means, hey, we found it here, and over there is this life form, and we believe that this life form lived at such and such time, so we believe this lived at such and such time. So there's assumptions within some of that is all I'm saying. Now, you use the term, we believe that life form be- lived then. Do they actually say they believe and think, or do they actually? No, they say, no. They say it was dated on a faunal basis. Which means they're not claiming 100%. They know for sure. The other. Uh, well, they don't use that language either way. They just they, they say we dated it on a faunal basis. And, you know, you'd have to look at the individual article to see exactly what uh, dating they put. But uh, if you're an evolutionist and you believe that the earth is this old and you believe that fish evolved into reptiles that evolved or, or, or yeah, eventually into reptiles. Uh, and reptiles into birds. Mammals and eventually in demand. And if you believe that this lived then, that dinosaurs lived, say, 65 million years ago, this particular one, and that if you believe all that, then when you find, and they, they have things called index fossils, they say this species lived at this time. And so then, if you find a fossil with this species of plant or animal, then they assume this lived at that time. Now you mentioned about them finding fossils that actually had flesh on it. What, what does that mean? Okay, yeah, let me pull that up. Uh, it's going to take me just a minute to pull this up. I like the sand. Thank So, yeah, this will be, be quite interesting. Um, all right, can you see my screen? Yes. All right, let me scroll down here to the section we need on fossils. And And while you're doing that, let me just repeat. This is about someone who made a comment on that. He he says, I don't believe that the Bible dispels concepts such as carbon dating, the age of the universe, consequently the earth and evolution. So we're responding to a comment that came in from a podcast viewer. All right, and we're looking for, oh, by the way, there's the Michael Day book. Uh, and the, by the way, the fossil on the cover, uh, it was uh, both not possible, uh, it was found fresh, and where is the, and I'm sorry for abusing people by it so much for not having these things. Here we go, fossilization. This is pretty interesting, right? Go ahead. All right. Fossilization. North Carolina uh, University, as an informal rule, remains and traces must be at least 10,000 years old to qualify as a fossil. Now, that's just their terminology. They don't call it a fossil unless it's 10,000 years old. What does it mean to be fossilized? It means that everybody's heard of the petrified forest. Mm -hmm. What What do you have in the petrified forest? Trees that turn to rock? Yeah, trees that turn to rock. So you've got the cellular structure of a tree, and then minerals in the water fill in that structure and petrify it, turn it to stone. So the process is called permineralization. So some some old bones have become stone. They have become fossilized, permineralized. Some have not. Now listen to this. It is an informal rule that you only call it a fossil if it's at least 10,000 years old. Some might be tempted to refer to a seashell embedded in a 30-year-old rock as a fossil. Beer cans, clearly traces of life, are sometimes embedded in beach rocks, which form quickly through the interaction of sea spray and carbonate sand. Now, it's locked inside a rock, but they say, no, it's not a fossil because it's not old enough, right? You with me so far? Yeah. All right. Um, fossil Homo sapiens. Some Homo sapiens skulls are fossilized, like this one, and um, this one is par- partially fossilized. But you can get fossilization rapidly. 
highly permineralized human bones have been founded uh, and on some no more than 3,000 to 4,000 years old. And you can have dinosaur bones that are not fossilized. So this is from a book. Uh, it's, it's written kind of for children, but it's by a scientist. And before somebody, and I've seen unbelievers attack this book by saying, well, it's a kid's book. How do evolutionists get across a lot of their ideas? By in our children's, you know, uh, uh, science books while they're children telling them evolution, right? That's one of the methods they use. So the fact that the scientists put in a book designed for kids doesn't mean it's not a scientist saying. So this is by Philip Curry and Eva Coppolis. Uh, he was former head of dinosaur research at the Royal Turrell Museum in uh, Alberta, a prominent paleontologist at the University of Alabama. Um, excuse me, Alberta, big difference there. This is interesting. How long does it take for a bone to become fossilized? Answer, fossilization is a process that can take place anywhere from a few hours to millions of years. Fossilized bone is usually considered to be that which is turned to stone. The process is called permineralization. The amount of time it takes for a bone to turn uh, completely permineralized is highly variable. If groundwater is heavily laden with minerals in the solution, the process can happen rapidly. Modern bones that fall into mineral springs can become permineralized in a matter of weeks. Okay? So the fact that something is fossil doesn't have to mean it's old. Uh, let's look at the next thing. Unfossilized dinosaur bones. Dinosaur bones are not always permineralized. In Dinosaur Provincial Park in Alberta, dinosaur bones were sometimes encased in ironstone nodules. The bones, for all intents and purposes, cannot be distinguished from modern bone. A more spectacular example is found on the north slope of Alaska where many thousands of bones lack any significant degree of permineralization. The bones look and feel like old cow bones. And then here's the one with the soft tissue. Um, so we can have fossilized homo sapiens. You can have unfossilized dinosaurs. Wait, 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 wait. You can't do that because dinosaurs lived a long time, millions of years before humans ever got started. And dinosaurs went extinct first. So they say, uh, but we looked at just before you came in from this scientist saying that something can get fossilized in a few hours. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hi guys. If you have enough minerals and water. Hey, Jeff. All right. So here we go. This is from newscientist.com in 2005. Paleontologists have extracted soft, flexible structures that appear to be blood vessels from the bone of a T-Rex. Uh, and then Mary Schweitzer, North Carolina, has extracted similar soft structures from a few other dinosaur bones. What does it look like? There we go. See right there? See, here's something harder. Here's something harder. See that thing in between that looks like a little bit of cheese or something stretching? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When stretched, the tissue is flexible and oh, resilient. Wow returns to an original shape. The discovery challenges the conventional idea that soft tissue should not last beyond 100,000 years. This is fantastic. So <laughs> dinosaurs were supposed to have lived tens of millions of years ago. Then they find this dinosaur remains with some soft tissue that you can stretch and go back to its original shape. And so this challenge is an idea. <laughs> we believe dinosaurs are 60 million years old, 65 million years old, 70 million years old. Here's one that's still stretchy. Wow. Maybe we should rethink how long bone can, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, stretchy. 75 million years. Okay. Let's just think about that. Stretchy tissue, stretchy tissue lasting you know stretchy <laughs> tissue when you throw away when you throw away let's say you have steak for dinner and you throw out the bones and there's some stretchy tissue on it generally speaking if you come back in 15 or 20 minutes and dig it back up there's still stretchy tissue on it generally speaking if you come back oh i don't know a year later chances are there's not a lot of stretchy tissue left on it 
75 million years, they're thinking there's still stretchy tissue. And instead of saying maybe this isn't as old as we think it is, they're th- thinking maybe, maybe stretchy it's tissue last longer thing. than we think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah. And, like, you know, on my uh, – the other day, part of my windshield wiper came off. And it was flipping and flopping. And I reached up and grabbed it, and it stretched, and it, it ripped off. Okay, imagine you're dealing with the windshield wiper on a Model T. It's probably not as stretchy as it used to be. It's probably pretty rich. Now, granted, granted, some the, the flesh or stretchy material or rubber windshield wipers will last longer preserved in certain environments than yes. in others. Granted, yes. 75 million years? And so here, here again, what they say. It's the tissue is flexible, resilient, returns to original shape. This discovery challenges the conventional idea that soft tissue should not last beyond 100,000 years. Shouldn't that have said this, this challenges the conventional idea that dinosaurs became extinct 75 million years ago? Yeah, I would, I would think that would be a better thing to reconsider. Okay. Uh, and sorry, folks, for the time it took to try to find those and the trouble I was having on my computer today. Uh, Drew, unless there's anything further on that, let's uh, move on to our next topic. Unless, does anybody have anything further on that before we go ahead? Uh, no, I'm good. I- I'm, I'm confused, glad. but I'm good. I'm glad I got here in time to, to at least catch the end of that. that uh, yeah. We kind right. of so, so, so the next go ahead what were you going to say I just, sometimes people get in their rut they're, this is what they're going to believe and n- n- no evidence is going to change their mind uh, let me give you an example of that I had a friend of mine in college that was really good at backgammon and he sat there and he said you know I, and he talked about rolling the dice and everything and he could roll double sixes with a, a surprising degree of thing. And so it's he, not skill though. It's chance. <laughs> he, he, but he would do it and do it. And so many times it was double sixes, double sixes. And in my mind, I'm trying to think, okay, has he learned how to set them in his hand and to motion and to, and, and I'm going through all these ideas trying to figure out how is he doing that? And finally showed me they were trick dice. <laughs> I was just going to say, they're loaded. Yeah, it, was, yeah, it was six, six, six. You know, they're only <laughs> four of the six sides. We're six. Oh, my. My mind, it was ignoring the obvious, and I was busy going this way. And it didn't occur to me, oh, wait, look at the dice. They're right there in front of my eyes every time. Hey, Scott. Yeah. I got a career suggestion for you. I think you'd make a good paleontologist. <laughs> You broke up and I missed it. I said, I've got a career suggestion for you. I think you'd make a good paleontologist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, that's uh, not a good segue, but let's make a segue to the next topic. Oh, this is so much fun. Speaking of dice. You're having way too much fun, Jeff. Here's our segue. Speaking of dice, which have numbers on them. And people use them for gambling. And dinosaur, and people gamble for money. That brings us to the Lord has something to say about money. Wow, what a segue! Ah, good, 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 good save there, Scott. <laughs> Let it go. Okay, so go ahead, Scott. What are we talking? What did the Lord say about money, and where did Let's He start? Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> okay, that'd be in Matthew six. Matthew chapter six, Sermon on the Mount goes from Matthew six through seven. Uh, and interestingly, a significant part of the Sermon on the Mount is about money. You got three chapters, and half of one of those chapters is about money. Well, Paul said the root of all evils, or all sorts of evil, all kinds of evil, is money. No, uh, we didn't. I'm sorry. No, no, we didn't. How in the world did I quote that wrong? How in the world did I quote that wrong? The love of money. Yes. There we go. There we go. And Timothy so, chapter 6. I know where it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so Matthew chapter 6. I'll read and ask you guys to comment. Okay? Jesus Christ, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 19. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this is a challenging passage. I mean, one of the mistakes we don't want to do is, uh, first of all, rationalize uh, what uh, we think we may need to do in terms of saving and, and, then it, and then miss the point. So first of all, what's the point of the passage? Well, the, the point of the passage is where your heart is. And where your heart is, that's, that's where your energies are going to go, right? Yeah. And, and it shouldn't be on getting rich. It shouldn't be on um, a large bank account. It shouldn't be on having all the money so that I can live very comfortably. But, but now this raises an interesting question. He does say in verse 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break through and steal. So does that mean we shouldn't have a savings account? Does that mean we shouldn't put money into a 401k? Does that mean we shouldn't have an IRA? What does the book of Proverbs say about learning from an ant? Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Is that the one you have in mind? And what does it say that the ant does? Um, I'm going to have to turn there. Um, I'm going to have to get my Bible open to the, I, I had a new Testament in front of me. Didn't have an old Testament in it. So I've got my old Testament going here and I'm going to go to Proverbs and you remind me where that passage is. Proverbs chapter six, verse six, go to the Anto slugger, consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Well, now, uh, that sounds like when the summer is there and the crops are growing, that's the time that you, you take advantage of the, of the harvest, and, and then in the winter you have something to eat because you've prepared ahead of time. We need to be wise. We can prepare for the future, but that doesn't mean that's where our heart is and who our master is. So let's consider this part about no one can serve two masters. Suppose you're trying to serve two masters. Mm-hmm. Master number one says, take this load of, you know, vegetables to Jerusalem and sell them today. Master number two says, go up to the Sea of Galilee and fish all day. Well, if you're in, if you're in, if you're in say, oh, Samaria, say, for example, those are opposite directions. You can't do both of those. You can't do both. You can't serve two masters. So if I decide to serve money, then the, what's going to happen is it's something. Some, now, if both masters said, go plow the field today. I, I could serve both masters, couldn't I? Yeah. If they well, both said. But, but not really. No, I mean, in, in that case, I can satisfy both, both right. individuals. Right. But really, right. the test of who is the master comes when they say divergent things. Very good. Very good. So I can say, look, I obeyed both masters. Did I? Both of them say, share the seat. I share the seat. I obey both masters. Now they say, go to Galilee, go to Jerusalem. I, I can't. And so the one I pick shows who's the real master. Or say one says, go play golf. And the other one says, prepare these reports. Uh, and then I say, well, I go play golf. Who I've shown is really my master is probably myself. Yes, yes. I pick the one. I do what the one said who said what I want to do. Yes. And if money is my master, uh, so, I mean, there's going to be times where I can do what's good for making money and I can do what's good for obeying God. For example, does the Bible tell me in 1 Timothy 5 to take care of my own? Yes. yes. 
Does Second Thessalonians say if a man won't work, neither shall he eat? Yes. Yes. And so I work, I make money, I take care of my own. I'm pleasing God, I'm pleasing my family, and I've also got something to eat. And beyond just having something for myself to eat, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that is good, that he may have whereof to give to him that has need. So one motivation is also to be in a position where I not only have enough money to buy what I need to eat today, but I can help somebody else. And so in 1 Timothy 6, where there are wealthy Christians in view, Paul tells Timothy to charge them that are rich in this present world, that they be not high-minded, nor have their hopes set on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, uh, who gives us richly all things to enjoy, being ready to communicate, uh, meaning ready to share. So, so there is a motivation of the chi- on the part of the child of God to not only earn enough that I can pay my own bills, but that I can help somebody else. Yeah. So now back to this idea of two masters. What about when making the money and obeying God go different directions? So you can make this money, but you're going to have to lie on this report. You're going to have to do this illegal thing. You're going to have to cheat on your taxes. You're going to lie to that customer. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to find out, like you said before, now we're going to find out who the master is. So, okay. Uh, this passage isn't saying you can't have a savings account or you ought not have a saving, savings account or a retirement fund, but it is talking about where your heart is, and that becomes evident based on the choices that you make if you compromise uh, your obedience to God in order to make more money then obviously you've made money your God and, and God can't be your God. Right. We've got, to, we've got to decide who we're going to serve. And, you know, it can also have to do with where we think our happiness is. You know, if, if my goal is, in fact, in First Timothy chapter 6, those who are minded to be rich put themselves into a temptation and a snare. You know, if that's my goal, what's your goal in life? To be rich. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely got the wrong goal. Lori B. Secker has a comment. Okay, uh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Drew. Go, you got, you have it. Yeah, Lori came in with a comment. It's interesting that Jesus speaks of serving money, where money should be a resource that serves us and gives us ability to serve others. This is an example of a good thing having potential to be perverted into a stumbling block. Very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. Thanks, Laura. Now, so have we all known people that love money? I'm sure I have. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. (laughs) A friend of mine, uh, uh, I won't call his name, but you knew him too, uh, Jeff, back in high school days. A little while after high school, he, he... he had been collecting money because he wanted to go down to the Chevrolet dealer there at the intersection of 31 and Beltline and yeah. buy a Camaro for cash. I buy a Camaro for cash. Yeah. And I so that dealership. he was looking forward to going in there with a case full of the cash, picking out his Camaro, opening it up, and buying that Camaro cash money. So he worked and worked and worked. He saved and saved, and he got the money. And then he told me, he says, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I love money. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like this had been his goal. And then, oh, oh, I just loved his money too much to do it. There's a lot of people that love money. Uh, question number two, do you have to have a lot of money to love money? No. No. No, I knew a guy that went through a midlife crisis. He lived in a home that might have sold at the time for ten thousand, twelve thousand, fifteen thousand dollars. Uh huh. You know, it was uh, maybe fifteen, but twenty tops. Um, he late, maybe close to 60, realized it wasn't going to happen. And we're not talking about 
missed it by that much. <laughs> <laughs> That's a never, part. <laughs> never came close. And now he's going through and he started an affair with somebody and he's wanting to commit suicide and all these things. And part of it had to do with he had always wanted to be rich and he realized it was never going to happen. So you don't have to love money. No, and Lori, Lori brings up to love it. Lori brings up another point which might relate to, to what you're talking about. She says, "How does pride?" Or that's a question. How does pride factor into our attitude in money? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and so let me let me go in a little bit different direction with this. Would you're you? Saying, well, well, let me interrupt you. You're saying, "Yep," yeah, meaning, yeah, pride does play a lot into. Yeah. It. We might want to yeah. have. Our pride is we want to appear to have more money than others, that we? I've got a newer, more expensive car than you do. That means I'm better than you. That's mm-hmm. the answer to pride, yeah. So, Scott, I interrupted you. I'm, I mean, Jeff, I interrupted you. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, I thought her question was so well-worded that it was just almost like a rhetorical question. It was just like it made the point itself. Yeah. Um, so, all right, what about someone who uh, – he, he just constantly wanting to get money, get money, get money because of what it can do for him. And he's always buying things, always buying things. So he's always, uh, he's always spending more. There's always more going out than coming in. So he's always getting involved in uh, risky deals, shady deals, illegal deals, trying to get more money because he loves what money can do for him. I would say that's another kind of person who loves money. He's not like yeah. the guys you talk about who just wants that big bank account, yeah. loves seeing the number, but yeah. but he loves money. Yeah, yeah. And he never and he never really has much in his bank account because he's always spending more than he has coming in. Book of Proverbs says that the love of wine and oil will lead to poverty. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it, it, oftentimes desiring more and more makes very foolish decisions. One thing I've noticed, people that are good about money and are very generous to other people are really, really careful in their purchases. You know, they'll they'll do this to get that discount or get that better price. Or, you know, they might turn around and hand somebody a gift worth hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, but they're 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 smart with their money. So you can not have money but love it. You can also have money, but it's not what you love. Was there a very, very rich man in the Bible who lost everything and said, I came in with nothing, I'll go out with nothing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job. Yeah. And, and Satan's thought was because he has money, that's the only reason he loves the Lord. Because he's got all these blessings, he was mistaken. I, I have known people who started out with nothing, made a lot of money, and really, really, their character didn't change. They didn't become the kind of person who just had to have money. They used their money well. I've known people who ended up doing very, very well and lost it all, and their character didn't change. They were still the kind of caring person, the unselfish person. And these are people who, when they have wealth, they, they can use it for good, but that doesn't define them. And similar, what, to Paul said, Paul said, yeah, similar to what Paul was saying, he found to be, he was able to be content no matter what level he was at economically. Yes, yes. He knew how to be content. He knew how to be abased. There are some people that know how to be abased, but once they get money, they don't know how to handle right. it. Right. There's people that know how to handle money, but then if their fortune is gone, they want to jump off the top of the building or throw themselves in front of a train. Um. Let's, let's take a look now at the second half of this section. Because you know what? Um, somebody might say, well, I, I'm not trying to be rich. I don't love money, so I don't have any problems with my view of money. My old, I just I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. I don't know. What am I going to do next month? Oh, it was colder than normal. I, my heating bills is going to be higher. How will I pay the water bill? How will I, what's going to happen? This guy, his problem isn't that he loves money. What's his problem? He's anxious for everything. So somebody read for us, please, verse 25 through the end of the chapter. Therefore, I say unto you, be not anxious. And if I can interject something here. Many people confuse the words anxious and eager. And there's a difference. And it's important in this passage. Somebody say, well, I'm anxious for supper. 
I tell you what, anxious has to do with anxiety. If you tell your wife you're anxious for her supper, that means you're worried about her supper. You don't think she's a very good cook. Um, that means <laughs> not believe she's going to cook anything. That means, yeah, that means eager. You're you're looking forward to it. Anxious means I, I, I'm I'm filled with anxiety. Um, so he says here, don't be anxious. Verse 25, therefore I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than the food and the body than the raiment? Behold, the birds of the heaven that they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit unto the measure of his life. And why are you anxious concerning raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God does so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Did you say go all the way to the end of the chapter? Where did you say go to? Go to at least 33. Be not, therefore, anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek you first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, let's get the last verse since we're there. Be not therefore anxious for the morrow, for the morrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. All right. So have you guys, I'll confess, sometimes I've been anxious about money. And uh, I remember, especially in some years when I didn't, things were pretty slim. Sometimes I worried about money. Uh, If you ever were in that situation, how many bills were you able to pay with worry? Uh, Not one. Call up the electric company and say, listen, listen, I worried (laughs) this much yesterday. Uh, How much are you going to take off my bill? (laughs) Nothing. There's also, you mentioned the difference between eager and anxious. There's also a difference between planning and worrying. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What is planning involved? Planning involves, here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out and do the best I can, uh, knowing that there's a God who is in charge, but I'm going to do the best I can according to his will to earn a living, uh, pay my bills. And I'm going to set aside, I'm going to make, I'm going to prioritize. I'm going to, I'm going to owe no man anything. I'm going to pay what I owe to others before I spend it on myself because that's an obligation that I have. I'm going to plan on setting the alarm clock properly so I can get up in time to go to work so I don't lose my job. I got good, good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's planning. I'm going to plan on selling these items I can get by without to pay for this that, that I need. That's years planning. Ago, years ago, I had a psychology class by a man that probably wasn't the world's best psychologist. But I remember one thing out of that class that was absolutely fantastic. He said, when you are faced with a crisis, when you're faced with a crisis, he said, decide what you can do about it. Okay? Decide what you can do about it. What do you suppose number two is? Do it. (laughs) Yeah. And number three was don't worry about it. Number one, when you're faced with a crisis, decide what you can do about it. Uh-huh. Then do it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. There's nothing else you can do about it, but we could add a number four from the book of Philippians, turn it over to God. Uh-huh. You know, uh, with Thanksgiving, ask God to help us with the things, you know, turn our requests over to him. Decide. All right, so what if I, what if I can't decide... And I, and I can't do it. I, I can't decide what I can do, or I can't do what I've decided I'm going to do. In a multitude of counselors, Proverbs says, is wisdom. If I'm facing a situation and I don't know, there might be something I can do, but I don't know what it is. Like maybe you don't handle money well. Uh, I, I've seen people that don't have much money, 
and they will spend money like crazy. You know, they, it's, uh, uh, I stopped for lunch yesterday and I got Taco Bell had the loaded nacho taco, which I recommend little bug there, the loaded nacho taco, two tacos, $2. That wasn't a bad deal. But sometimes people with no money, they'll go into place and they'll walk out spending, having spent $9 or something. If you're having trouble, you might say, How, what can I do different? Talk to some people that handle money better than you do and they can give you some tips. But worrying won't help. So you guys talk about uh, some of the applications of the things in the text that we just read. Uh, what are some other things that we really need to get out of this text? Well, um, do we want to check our clock? <laughs> oh, are we out of time? Uh, oh. We weren't planning the hour here too well. <laughs> I was on the road yesterday. If you don't have much money, the best thing is not to go to a Taco Bell. I was on the road. <laughs> so what time is it? But because yeah, we're, computer, we've never gone this far past our time slots. Oh, we're, we're already out. Man, I'm that's all right. Where it's all right. Oh, I didn't know. notice it. I didn't notice it till we were four minutes past time. All right. Yeah. Our sponsors aren't going to care if we go longer. Oh wait, we don't have any sponsors. Taco Bell, they got product placement. Oh, and we got. We have, well, let's close with this. We have one one more comment uh, here. Lori says, "My question regarding Pride Money wasn't rhetorical, but perhaps it contrasts well with last half of Matthew six section, contrasting passages James four verses 13 through 16. Anxiety is wrong. I don't think I'll have enough. James says pride that makes us boast that we're in charge of our earning ability is also wrong. Two ends of a spectrum. Very good. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. And that's a good uh, comment to close on then, gentlemen. Thank you, Laurie. Um, oh, before we go, Jeff, I want to put a plug in since we're putting in plugs. What are you talking about tomorrow on the Bible Quest Wednesday program? I think we're going to talk about Romans 9 and Calvinism. <clears throat> you know, Romans 9 is a passage that sometimes people turn to and, and they think they see evidence that God chooses ahead of time. He chooses to save Jacob and condemn Esau. He caused Pharaoh to have a hard heart and Pharaoh didn't have any choice in the matter. Um, so we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Great, great. Okay, good. I look forward to seeing it and hearing it. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, everyone. And thank you in the audience for being with us today. We invite you back again uh, next Tuesday. And if you can pick up the program tomorrow on Wednesday, the Wednesday edition is at 3 p.m. Just go to BibleQuest.tv and click Wednesday. Thank you, guys, and have a great week. Okay.